Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's show with some updates on My Son Hunter, which is off to a rip-roaring start, largely thanks to you going to MySonHunter.com and checking out the film. Lawrence Fox, the star who plays Hunter Biden, was on Tucker last night, and it was super fun. I play the audio. You should go to Breitbart.com and get the visuals as well, because Lawrence does look look pretty slick, um, but the audio is hilarious, and we play it. I also read a hateful review in Rolling Stone from a Media Matters alum and so much more. Lots of fun stuff on the film at the opening of the show. Before I get into a ton of news, lots of politics today, a disturbing woke update, but most importantly, I report on the zombie media cartel bill, the JCPA, which is losing conservative support, but we must remain vigilant and stop this thing. This is a big deal. We also cover energy policy and quite a bit in the beginning of the broadcast. Today's guest today are My Son Hunter director and Hollywood legend Robert Davi and Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Need I say more? I don't think I do. So let's get into it. Yesterday was a big day for us at Breitbart News, a birthday, the birthday of our film, My Son Hunter, and it, it, the reaction, I would say, is pretty much what you would expect <coughs> uh, thus far in that people who are supportive of Breitbart, who are coming into it either with, with good faith or with an open mind, are liking it or loving it. Um, and then people who are left of center are split. They're either schizophrenically saying it is really bad and horrible and boring and dishonest or whatever, which looks very triggered and lame, or they're begrudgingly admitting what we all know is true. It's pretty good. Like, and, and, and that is um, pretty much what I would expect. It was fun to um, see a couple of things that are in- incredibly exciting to me. Um, first of all, if you go to IMDb right now, and you all should, especially those of you registered to IMDb, IMDb is the internet movie database. It's one of the most popular websites in the world. Uh, and I've been going to it, uh, I think longer than I've been, you know, going to Breitbart. I feel like I've been going longer than that. This is where it lists all the credits. Whoever came up with this idea is a stone cold genius. Um, but this was it really it goes back to feels like the early days of the internet, um, where they started listing, all the credits uh, that people have. So like, this is where you would go if you want to see what movies Robert Davi's been in, for example, or what else, um, you know, Gina Carano has been in. Like, This is the place you would go and incorporates uh, stills from the film and it incorporates um, trailers and it's all very well integrated. It integrates ratings and it integrates a popularity of like what kind of searches it's getting. Um, and this is, and it's just a really fun way to track it. Unlike the super biased editorialized Rotten Tomatoes, which is one of the worst sites of the internet. Um, Rotten Tomatoes is what aggregates reviews and then it dis- dis- displays its tomato meter score, uh, which is uh, basically an aggregation of what movie critics think of, <laughs> of the movie. So Rotten Tomatoes, you're only getting a take when you see the review you basically it's a review site and they only give you 
uh, a aggregation. Well, they display two numbers, but the main number they aggregate is what the critic score is, which means people who went to USC film school and learned how to review movies and learn how to criticize them. And they're all left wing people who are obsessed with movies. And it's the same perspective. And that uh, what do people of a certain demographic, what do they think of these movies? For the most part, that's the, the main function. I'm being a, I'm summarizing a little bit for the sake of time. Uh, IMDb is different. So IMDb is loaded with information, but it gives you a rating of basically normal people who love movies. So it's a much more, it's a much bigger indication, I think, of the quality of the movie, uh, especially on a commercial level, because it's not just what critics who are, are professionals think, it's what a very informed public thinks. And that's what matters most, because the vast majority of people who see movies are not pros. Um, like when a, a the vast majority of people who, let's say, read peer-reviewed um, medical studies, like, you know, uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe has a, a, a few of those under her belt over the years. Uh, the people reading them are, you know, other doctors and stuff. Uh, th that's like the IMDb score. Uh, I'm sorry, that's like the Rotten Tomato score. The IMDb score is like a, an informed public weighing in. Anyway, so thus far, My Son Hunter is at 8.1 out of 10 which is by far the highest of any conservative movie that's out there. You can look them all up. Uh, the, most of them are in the threes or in the fours or in the fives. Um, and I love this in particular because not only is it 8.1, which is super high, uh, this is also considering there's 14% have given it a one. So the trolls are out there. So 14, which I love. I love that too. That's fine. That's the world we're in. And the trolls give us power when they're so triggered by us. It does give us some power. So if you go to IMDb and you're inclined to rate it, 65% have given it 10 out of 10, and 14% have given it 1 out of 10. I love it all. It's so great. But still, overall, despite the 14% of trolls, it's not a 1 out of 10 movie. It just isn't. So we know if you're giving it a 1, then we know you're just in there to be a hater. Uh, and so so that said, um, if, you, if you look at, um, if, you, if you're looking at, this number overall still it's still super high for conservative movies it's high for any movie and if you look at you know the the um best movies of all time you're still going to get you know you're not going to get a significantly higher number than that like casablanca is 8.5 out of 10. so you know and uh, my set hunters 8.1 i don't think davi would say it's as good as casablanca i i i don't think but um its popularity is also, uh, you know, very high, getting a lot of buzz, and we're grateful for all that. It's all you guys doing that. So that that's very exciting. The next thing that's very exciting about it is to see the uh, the reviews and to see how the left is trying to deal with it. Rolling Stone, for example, put out a piece by someone named Nikki McCann Ramirez, which is, I have to admit, it's very dumb. It's a dumb piece. And it was still fun to read, though. It says the right can't film. Um, I think that's a play on words, but too complicated to be amusing, really. Then their headline is 25 gut reactions to my son, Hunter, the very MAGA and wildly boring Biden family biopic. So it's boring. It is. You're off to a bad start because it is the one movie of them all um uh, the it, it is the, the 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 one thing 
about this that I would say for sure is it's not boring. That's the last thing it is. So we're obviously off to bad starts, indicating perhaps they didn't actually watch the movie. I was thinking because how could you say it's boring because it's just it's all loaded with sex and drugs and partying and international conspiracy and dialogue about corn pop. I mean, it's not the the last thing this is boring. So did they even watch it? And then you scroll down the bottom and the author has written 25 real time reactions to the movie that they had jotted down, I guess, as they watched it. And they're pretty hilarious. I won't read them to you now. But you should go and seek it out because it's so fun to read. Some of us at Breitbart were reading them out loud to each other and we were laughing. So they don't know how to deal with it. They just say it's a bad movie and the dialogue's bad and everything is bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Uh, and it's also really boring. That's the last thing it is. They're just trolling us. They're just triggered left wingers who don't like what we're doing. Um, they're calling it the right's ham-fisted desperation to portray President Biden as a sinister, endlessly corrupt overlord, hell-bent on destroying America. That's not how it's portrayed at all. Not even remotely close to how Dobby portrayed Joe Biden. Joe Biden is portrayed uh, uh, more subtly than that, and not just as a sinister overlord, but as someone with a level of uh, ability to, to scheme and be savvy and also with some level of empathy to him and some level of humanity to him. We will speak to John James, who plays Joe tomorrow, which I'm really looking forward to because uh, I'm told he's a fan. I'm told he's a uh, listen to the show anyway, which is cool. So I'm looking forward to that for a lot of reasons. So I could read more from the terrible review, but it's terrible, but it's still fun. It's still fun. I enjoy it. That, that's power when the Rolling Stone spends a bunch of time trying to uh, take something down. The Daily Beast, however, this review came out almost exact same time. The new anti-Biden fantasy flick Trump supporters will love. The author, Will Summer, who is a professional um, reporter on the right, and he basically lives to attack the right. That's what he does is he finds angles to attack conservatives. That's his day job. And he admitted uh, that he thought the movie was pretty good. He did. In so many words, he said that the movie is is pretty good and that he found it to be the most entertaining of any of the movies that this sort of budding ecosystem of conservative movies has turned out. And he's not wrong. He called it. So remember, Rolling Stone said it was boring. What did the Daily Beast say? The Daily Beast called it totally nuts and the most watchable movie from right wing media. OK, now we're talking. So it's all of it's a delight. All of it is a delight. And um, it is so fun to be a part of the conversation. Uh, my piece is still up as the lead. I guess we felt like we, could, we couldn't beat it yet. But my eight articles that you should read, eight facts that explain why the left is terrified by my son Hunter. And these are all the true stories from Biden scandal lore that we relive. And there are even more that I could have added, but I had to shut it down because the piece was already, you know, close to 2000 words. And I'm a big believer in trying to keep the pieces tight for you guys so you can just get the facts and get out. But I couldn't do it any more efficient. And I was still leaving things on the cutting room floor, uh, which was, you know, exasperating to say the least, because there is so much um, to, th there is so much that we can discuss. Um, 
and I'm reminded. Do we have our Tucker clip, guys? Okay, so uh, uh, Lawrence Vox on Tucker yesterday. Two things were noteworthy about this clip. Um, first of all, you do not see how cool Lawrence Vox is. If you listen to the show, I think it was two days ago when he was on with me, and you must get it in the Breitbart News Daily podcast, super easy. One of my favorite interviews of the year. He is sensational. He's on the money on all the issues, and he is also a... Uh, a great actor. So he gets it. He gets how the world works. He so two things that were noteworthy. He was so cool on Tucker. He looked so cool. He was so cool on TV. And the other thing is, I think the segment broke my personal record for the shortest uh, Tucker Carlson segment ever. I think my shortest was about two minutes and 45 seconds. I think his was only about two minutes and 20 seconds. So I think he somehow got a shorter segment than I did, but he pulled off what he needed to pull off. I, I want you to hear this back and forth. I was grinning ear to ear watching this yesterday. Let's play this sack. Can we play it? Is it possible? It's buffering. Buffering is that a, is that still a thing? I, I'm having flashbacks when I was in the ninth grade, just logging on for the first time, watching things buffer. Um, but you're going to hear once this thing starts playing, you're going to hear it back and forth um, that involves a specific scenario that I won't tell you whether or not this is alluded to in the movie or not. But it is just n- another one of those insane. Items. To the FBI. Here we go. I water damage. I took it to be fixed. Water damage. What were you swimming with it? I forgot to pick it up. Forgot to pick it up. I was so busy with your campaign. Oh, come on, man. I mean, what kind of a moron forgets to pick up his laptop at a repair shop? Come on, man. You're drunk? No, Dad, I'm sober. Bullshit. Lawrence Fox stars in this film. He is Hunter Biden. In real life, he's a British actor and leader of the Reclaim Party. He joins us. Mr. Fox, it's great to see you. You must have learned a lot playing this role. You must have immersed yourself in it. What did you learn about the Biden family? Uh, good evening, Tucker. I, I learned a lot. Um, I'm mostly, though, I'm grateful for the fact that I haven't mysteriously fallen from a sixth floor balcony or accidentally mm-hmm. hung myself in the last day. But, you um, haven't been I Epstein. That... No, I haven't, I haven't been Jeffrey, no. Um, I, I learned... I learned that, that, that Hunter is a man that wants to please his father, but ultimately yeah. it would be funny if it wasn't that this family basically seemed to have sold the entire of uh, America's future to the Chinese on the sly. It does uh, seem, in fact, I think that's been verified. Now, there is a very famous scene, not often talked about in public, from the laptop that concerns M&Ms, which are an American hard candy with chocolate in the middle, and Hunter's use of them in a very provocative and I would say obscene way. Is that scene replicated in the film? I, I cannot confirm or deny whether I had stage fright that day, Tucker. <laughs> okay, so it's possible for our viewers who are thinking about watching this movie, the Eminem scene could be in there. I just want to give a fair warning. No, it's a fam- it, it, It's aimed at you know everybody, and, it, and, the, and the most important thing actually is that the film is watched by your the, you know the remaining sane Democrats uh, as right. well, because those are the these conversations are the ones that are going to be the things that change culture. And what's so lovely is that it, it, back in the day, this film would have been made by Oliver Stone. You know, it would have been it wouldn't have been down to small independent filmmakers to make it. Hollywood would have lapped it up. It just shows how badly Hollywood is being corrupted by the woke ideology that they won't go anywhere near this, along with the FBI. No, that is such a smart point. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, Robert Davi's now in the heir to Oliver Stone's uh, legacy of filmmaking, which I think is so cool. Um, and uh, it's the, the, the M&M story. I, I mean, it, those of you who are unfamiliar with it, uh, it involved, uh, let's just say, Hunter Biden balancing M&Ms on himself, thus the stage fright reference. From Lawrence Fox. He's so quick. It was so good. And uh, I love that Tucker was playing and having a good time with it, which is supposed to be fun. It's all supposed to be fun. Uh, we've got some great raves from places like Hot Air uh, saying that it's an irreverent romp. Uh, so uh, some other places, a movie guide gave it a really uh, terrific review saying it was extremely well directed, well acted, crazy, funny moments, a high drama. So any of you who are out there uh, banging the drum for us, we really appreciate it. Uh, we did have... Uh, a couple of tech issues, which is inevitable when you're doing something new like this. Uh, I know that some people have had some issues getting their their code um, to play it. If that has been the case, then uh, I would check your spam folder first. And then if not, there are some uh, email addresses you can email. You don't need to keep buying it over and over again. But if you did make that mistake, then you'll get refunded right away if you bought it too many times. All that stuff is going to get worked out and um, mysonhunter.com. Uh, should be up and uh, moving very quickly right now. So I know I had an outage because of so much traffic, which is a luxury problem to have. And that should be everything should be resolved at this point. But if you're having problems, then uh, reach out and we'll try to resolve them as soon as humanly possible. Uh, and we can't thank all of you enough because this thing is hot. This thing is spicy hot and we love it. All right. Uh, let's get into the rest of the news for now. There's a bunch that's uh, going on. I'll try to go relatively quick because I indulged myself with our big birthday yesterday for the movie. Uh, but uh, Donald Trump says the FBI improperly took a medical file and tax records in their Mar-a-Lago raid. Um, I don't know what his recourse would be to take action against the FBI, but I hope he does. And uh, again, just another one of those stories where I, I looked at it almost, I had to do the old timey cartoon rub my eye move and I still did not, like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. This is really, the former president of the United States saying the FBI raided his home and took files they had absolutely no right to take when they were searching for these alleged classified documents that, of course, Donald Trump could have declassified at any point during his presidency and maybe did. So this is just all a level of government corruption, which boggles the mind. And um, I hope Trump fights back. And uh, again, if he wins election next time, I really hope he cleans house. Um, uh, Bill Barr said the, the Department of Justice is very close to having evidence to indict Trump. I, I don't think anyone sophisticated thinks Trump is not going to get indicted at this point that I've spoken to. And uh, if you're out there, then feel free to tell me why he's not. Um, and I don't um, I, I won't necessarily believe you, but I would like that hope because I don't think it'll be good for the country. Um, the, the, but this is just their goal. I think they see a narrow path to keep, as I've said in the past, I think they've seen a narrow path to keep Trump off the ballot in 2024. And then if that doesn't work to toxify him with people who want to get over the drama, uh, of course, the head fake is that the drama will continue regardless of who's president. It's just a matter of at what clip. Um, the Donald Trump drama levels are going to be elevated relative to, you know, a President DeSantis or a President Rubio or whoever is your favorite. But they'll still be whoever. Like, like, I mean, there'll still be a lot of a lot of drama. It's not going to stop. Um, speaking of Marco Rubio, he's at the DOJ and the FBI are strategically leaking information in the Mar-a-Lago raid. 
This is, of course, true. Everyone knows it's true. New York Times gets most of the links, um, if not the Washington Post. Tried and true tactic for Democrats and deep staters within Washington, but it's just important to hear that it's not, you know, right-wing media say, saying it is a purple state uh, senator pointing it out. All right, moving in to some um, woke stuff. I guess we'll start classifying this as our woke update. Um, some disappointing news for moms and dads. The children's hit cartoon show Peppa Pig is introduced as first ever gay couple. And, and not to say you can't have gay couples even in shows for younger people, but we just know why. It's because there's relentless pressure to wokeify everything. And you can't have even a kid show that is designed for preschoolers who presumably are uh, do not need to uh, be thinking about sexuality at all because they're not even aware of what it is at that point. And then they they need to have this agenda being shoved down their throat, which is sad because Peppa Pig's not bad. It's not not a bad one. Of all the annoying little kid TV shows, and these debates rage at Breitbart, and our, our, we have a channel um, that we call Water Cooler that I invented. It's where I try to confine um, a useless banter to a couple of places where we have our internal chats um, and uh, the, the raging debates over what is the best little kid TV show and uh, Peppa Pig's a uh, that's a popular one it's a popular one and this is uh, now they're introducing same-sex couple and I think it is a couple of women pigs who uh, have a boy pig which is just sort of a sad scenario not to say that there haven't been two moms that couldn't potentially raise a great son I'm not saying that's impossible but I am saying uh, as a person who started off on the planet with the benefit of both mama and dada that worked out pretty great and having not had a male role model uh it would have been very bad for me personally and i do think throughout society this has been one of the major problems that we've seen over the last few decades is a lack of male role models and then we're just throwing it into preschoolers tv shows uh, a miami-based surgeon has proudly advertised transgender surgeries on tiktok so they're now recruiting people uh, on TikTok, and this person looks totally insane if you see the video online. And um, I know that um, some of you probably have. We have a big write up of it at Breitbart News. You have to see the visuals to fully get it. Uh, and this is a thing now where they're basically recruiting on the TikTok platform, which is, uh, in my opinion, Chinese mind control. Um, I think it is something that is designed to distract us and it is designed to rewire our brains so that we're not productive and that we just scroll and flip and click an emoji and we don't actually do anything productive with our lives. We don't have experiences. We don't write books. We don't read books. Instead, we just get lost in this rabbit hole where we are essentially become not human beings, but avatars who hit likes and subscribes and hearts and barf emojis. Um, I think that's the plan. And now we've got people who are exploiting um, children online. And Miami-based gender surgeon proudly advertising trans surgeries on the site. And it's not a, we describe it as Breitbart as a not so subtle effort to groom children both in classrooms and social media. No kidding. Um, another woke one. Wells Fargo, Target, Citibank, Hewlett Packard are all sponsoring a child drag performance. Any of you disappointed? Wells Fargo is consistently uh, disappointing. Um, Target is consistently disappointing. 
And Hewlett Packard and Citibank, I guess, are new. I think Citibank is in something woke recently that we covered. Can't think of it off the top of my head. But they're all featuring a, they're all sponsoring a, a drag event in Boise, Idaho that will feature child drag performance. Drag kids on stage. It's just so stunning because you see how there are these wars that are going on for advertisers. You know, Breitbart was famously boycotted. Fox News is famously boycotted. Um, you know, part of the reason why Mike Pillow is so famous is because every other ad on Fox News is Mike Pillow. And probably because the ad rates are pretty good because there's not as many advertisers because of left-wing campaigns to get advertisers to not, you know, support mainstream normative conservative thought. And... Um, the okay, so Zach is voting for Bluey as the best children's programming. See, Zach, the problem is Bluey, the dad character in Bluey, is a stone cold moron and never gets anything right. Is a bumbling buffoon, and I, I can't vibe with that. So I was into Bluey, or my family was for like five minutes. This is an Australian show for an Australian broadcasting company, and then it dawned on me that it was conditioning all of us um, to to think the dad is is an idiot, which is not. It's not good. It's like the Carl's Jr. ad where the where like the men are putting the whole avocado into a blender, like they don't even pull the skin out. Like it just it's, it's very cliche to me. It's a very trite portrayal of men. And Peppa Pig, the dad character, is super smart and loving, though he is fat, hugely fat. So, but the fat dad is realistic because that is the world we're living in now. Most of the dads are fat these days. Though I feel like the pendulum's swinging back a little bit. I feel like some people are, are taking fitness more seriously. But most of the dads are fat, but he, he's a problem solver. He's smart. In Bluey, the dad is just, just an idiot. So I, I, don't, I don't like that. I take that personally. Um, anyway, I, I digress. But all these companies that are sponsoring won't sponsor Breitbart, won't sponsor Fox. I mean, do, do you think there's any chance I get Wells Fargo to sponsor the show? Or, or Target? And I go to Target sometimes because Target competes with a bunch of other companies I hate. So even though they're woke, um, Walmart's detestable, Amazon's detestable. So I, sometimes I go to Target sometimes because I, I don't see if I need that type of, um, I need to just get a bunch of stuff that's convenient and not wildly expensive and knock it all out and go home. Uh, it's a viable option. And I, I don't, they've always been bad on the trans stuff. Can you imagine a company like that sponsoring a show like this? It's impossible. But a drag show for kids? Oh, yeah. Let's get that checkbook out. Actually, let's just drive the Brinks truck over to the Drag Kids Festival in Boise and just uh, drop off some pallets of cash. Um, okay. Some more news. Russian state energy company is now taunting Europe after uh, cutting off their gas. And it's funny, they don't need to taunt them. Europe should feel very taunted anyway. They hate Russia. They got very dependent on Russia for natural gas. Natural gas is still maybe their main source of energy. They did not uh, develop a, uh, enough nuclear power to be able to uh, be sustainable. Of course, wind and solar are semi-hoax. Not entirely hoaxy. I have solar panels on my house. But they're, they're mostly hoaxy in that they're not going to sustain the planet. And so now they can, um, you know, they can go get some uh, oil from the Saudis and they can get some uh, and they can get some Russian natural gas or wait a minute, uh, Russia's cutting them off. 
So good luck in Europe over there. It's going to be a very brutal winter, and it probably will see people die. People will probably die because it'll be a bad winter. And uh, their leadership, the globalists in the EU, all of these people, the party of Davos, World Economic Forum, all these people have let down the entire continent. So it is, I'm tracking on a daily basis, and I don't see anything nice to say about how bad it's going to be in Europe this winter. In the meanwhile, in the United States, we continue to make the same mistakes that they're making in Europe. Ford and Rivian, Rivian is this new upstart electric car company that's supposed to rival Tesla. Uh, they were calling more electric cars and trucks. The technology's not quite there yet, guys. It, it, it's, some of it's good. Uh, Musk used a bunch of money from the American government and the Chinese government to get ahead of everyone, and everyone's trying to catch up. But we're not on track by 2035 to have, as Gavin Newsom wants it, to have only electric vehicles. We're just not. We're not built for it. And now with California, of course, having these rolling blackouts are coming in um, because their energy grid can't handle the historic heat wave we're in right now. They have some limited blackouts, record power demand in this huge heat wave that's going on out there. Uh, I saw a photo, blew my mind. It was someone using a gas-powered generator to charge his electric car because he was uh, he was not supposed to or did not have access to electricity at his house. So, gas-powered generator plugged in to a electric vehicle. How awesome is that? Is that not 2022 in a nutshell? I think it is. The EU president, EU commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, has called for mandatory energy rationing to flatten the curve of demand. Is that a triggering phrase to many of you? Too much demand, you got to flatten the curve by rationing energy. And remember, she's not elected by the people of Europe. She is put in charge by a coalition of sometimes unelected bureaucrats who run the EU. And she's telling other people, where is she from, Ursula Van der Leyen? I should, I should look, I should know this, I sh but I don't know it, but I should. She's German, so she'll be telling people who are non-Germans all across Europe that they need to ration their energy. Because why? People like Germany were super stupid and became super dependent on Russia for their energy. One of the biggest economies on the planet. And they were not able to create um, they were not able to create enough security for their peoples. All right, some political stuff, and I'll go really quick because I am already going long in this segment. So some of these you'll have to catch up on Breitbart News, but I do want your take on some of these. Hillary Clinton said she's no plans to run for president again. That's a lie. Um, but she's certainly not acting like she's running right now. She'd love to run, but she's not. She's, she's not acting like it. And it's interesting because she'd have a really good chance of winning. Uh, I think the Democrat primary and thus winning the general election as well, but she's not. Um, despite how bad of a campaign Dr. Oz has been running and and despite that John Fetterman is seems to be mentally incapacitated, Fetterman has agreed to debate Dr. Oz, which is shocking to me. And I've been playing clips whenever I can get them of John Fetterman, the the Democrat nominee in Pennsylvania. Acting as though he has no idea what he's doing, where he is, or where he's going. The fact that he's kind of getting found out is, in many ways, an actor. A guy who plays a blue collar guy, 
on TV, but in actuality lived off of his parents into his 40s and has a degree from Harvard. Um, still, he's feeling compelled to debate Dr. Oz, which is either he's got some really dumb handlers or they they have some internal polling that suggests that it's going to be bad for Fetterman if he doesn't debate and that he is maybe vulnerable because of all these viral clips of him sounding like he is lost because he is because he had a stroke and he now can't think clearly. So the question is, for a lot of Democrats out there, is they're thinking, well, Dr. Oz could never think clearly. The guy lived his life as a Hollywood Democrat, you know, in Manhattan doing TV shows. And now he's out in Pennsylvania being a Republican, you know, playing the blue collar Senate game in the Rust Belt. And so people aren't going to go for that. A lot of people won't. But this is a huge development that Fetterman is going to debate Oz. This is going to be must watch programming. And um, I'm sure we'll have a ton of clips when that happens. But I can't wait. So, but Fetterman to do this is very risky and semi-stupid. So I'm guessing they got polls that suggest that that race is much closer than it actually is. Um, I will do an, an update in the JCPA. This is the media cartel bill. We'll talk to Senator Cotton about this, who's been raging about it, which I'm pleased to say. And they've admitted that the point of this thing, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, which is a, a, a Republican-Democrat establishment and big tech and um, corporate media-allied bill, that their goal is to suppress misinformation, which is, of course, a subjective term that is largely used to censor people like me, outlets like Breitbart. That's what it's always been to suppress true stories about Hunter Biden, just label it misinformation. And that's been the goal. It's backed by NewsGuard, as you can imagine. It's the most corrupt journalist organization on the planet that uh, downgraded Breitbart and others that I profile in great detail in Breaking the News, one of the best uh, sections of it, my best-selling book on the media, which you can pick up. And... Um, it is losing, I think, a lot of supporters that you guys would like, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a future because some of the Republican establishment is in on it and much of the Democrat establishment is in on it. It's interesting to track our JCPA stories on our, our, on our social pages because big tech likes it. And um, big tech, in a lot of ways, they like it. In some ways, they probably don't love it, but in some ways, they probably think it's a good it's a good hedge bet. It's getting wildly suppressed by Facebook. So if you look at our, we're looking at some of our trends. And Zuckerberg has got his hand on the dial, and he's turning down the JCPA stories. Um, Senator Tillis of North Carolina has come out against the bill, which is big. Mike Pompeo has sounded the alarm. Congress should vote down the Journalism Competition and Protection Act. So uh, we'll have more for you on this in, uh, as time goes on. And as time goes on, I mean, uh, whenever Senator Cotton gets here later today. And the last thing I will mention, and there's so much to mention, so much to mention politically. Mitch McConnell, is um, uh, his super PAC is uh, ignoring the Arizona Senate race, a huge Senate race, got a great candidate, Blake Masters out there, but not a McConnell candidate, much more of a Breitbart candidate. So thus, McConnell's upset. But I will say the New York Times is stunned, stunned that the future of the Democrat Party, Stacey Abrams, is struggling in Georgia. And Democrats are increasingly pessimistic 
about the race against Governor Kemp, which, by the way, much to her chagrin, she lost in 2018. I know she's never admitted that, but she did. She's running again. She's not doing well. And what is uh, the New York Times suggesting, as is Abrams, that the flailing campaign is due to sexism, among other things. So it is really the sexism. It is not that Abrams is a relentless self-promoter who has made a lot of mistakes, including posing maskless in front of kids with no masks, and has spent the last four years trying to make money to get out of debt um, and you know showing up in TV shows and writing a billion books and a whining about 2018 rather than you know doing what she could have done, which has become a standard bearer for her party, which she had that opportunity and everyone was waiting for her to do it and she didn't do it. So uh, that's, I think, good news. I know not a, a lot of you are not Kemp fans, but again, that's what the primaries are for. You have the primaries to sort that stuff out and then after that, you gotta stop Democrats. That's the message for today and every day. Davi is on with me, who is a friend. He's a friend of Breitbart. He's a friend of mine, and he's a Hollywood legend, a raconteur, a singer, a director, an actor, and uh, just one of the most interesting people that I know, period, and I'm in the business of getting to know interesting people. So he did just an amazing job with My Son Hunter, and he is at the center of the culture right now. This is the guy, so a perfect guest for today's podcast. Let's hear from Robert. So I had pulled up the IMDb page for My Son Hunter. And right now your film is at uh, 8.1 out of 10, which is certainly the the highest rated sort of conservative movie of all time. And if it maintains this, it'll be uh, one of the highest rated movies ever. And this is considering that 16% of the, of the reviews, at least, appear to be pure trolls. I mean, people love your movie, my friend. Yes, we're getting a tremendous response. And I'm so pleased that uh, you guys are putting it out there. It's really exciting and uh, challenging, to say the least, on, on many different levels, Alex, you know. So, um, so Robert, uh, you and I have spent a lot of time together the last week, and I was thinking about you as a human being and not just as a your legendary Hollywood figure, direct the movie, but... Uh, what are you thinking about today, yesterday? You put out something that is takes so much hard work that goes into it. It, it is, the, what's the sensation like? Because you're sort of the center of the culture right now. Is it, you're, you're the guy right now. Everyone wants a piece of you right now. I, that must be very empowering, but it must be very nerve-wracking in a way. I mean, well, what's, what are the emotions like? The emotions are, uh, you know, it's an old friend of mine, a great gentleman called George Englund who passed. He used to be Marlon Brando's best friend. He used to run his company, and he used to run... Uh, Paul Newman's company, and he was my manager years and years ago. And he said to me, don't let the highs take you too high and don't let the lows take you too low. And I interpret that as taste the bait, but don't swallow the hook. So it's, you know, life goes through sick. I've gone through where I've been number one on IMDb to number, you know, whatever, you know, 4,000. It takes that thing. But in terms of our country, what you, how you frame that, Alex, the importance for me of having the truth 
and combating hypocrisy. And our dear friend Andrew Breitbart, who always said politics is downstream from culture, and watching a lot of wonderful, well-meaning, beautiful conservative people do films and stuff like that, but to have a to not really capture the culture yet, because as we've had this discussion last week at our wonderful, you know, Ebbets Grill that you you took me to, uh, the uh, idea of having content that is emotional at the same time layering in the, the issues of the day, because that's what people remember. They remember the, you know, the facts startle them, but the emotions move them. And to be able to, to, to do that, that's what that for me is, is very gratifying and seeing the, the response to the people, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the community and outside the community. I've had messages from people. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I got to say, I like the film. I've also had people that, you know, uh, critics for the Rolling Stone or for, you know, that started with Media Matters and other extreme yeah. left-wing organizations. And, and, and they're going to, you know, uh, Rolling Stone did a great mag- uh, uh, review of a film I did called The Dukes years ago. Tremendous review by Peter Travis. Now, this current reviewer is a po- political reviewer, and it was just through the lens of her own prejudice, her own bias. And that's what we have to break through in a way on both sides. You know, we yeah, have- I, and, and I had, I'm, I'm not sure you caught it, Robert. I opened the show talking about the Rolling Stone review and how uh, stupid it was. Oh, I didn't it was know just, that. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a stupid review, and because I was pointing out some things in it which are objectively false. Of course, you don't have to love the movie. People don't love every movie, but some of the things they were writing about it were were just clearly not true at all, and comes from a place of uh, not just bias of, of agenda and dogma. And does that affect you at all? Because for me, when I put out a piece of writing or uh, I'm in the news for whatever reason, or when my book came out, uh, if people say they're disappointed, like they expected it's more out of me, the, the book. Oh, oh, thank you. That means a lot. Uh, the, yeah. the, uh, the, if they're, it, it, when people say that they're disappointed in me, then I will read the rest and I'll take it seriously because I don't want to disappoint people who believe in me. But when I read some unhinged rant like that, where it's just a screed, I, I laugh along with it. I, I find it very entertaining. It's fun for me. I mean, do you feel similarly or do, do you feel like you read every I, review? Yeah. I, I don't. Yes. I, I read, uh, you know, early on because Look, I'm thick-skinned, okay? Uh, I've survived 47 years in Hollywood under all kinds of circumstances. But what I've learned is that you have to know the opposition. Let's not say enemy, let's say opposition. So I saw that review, I said, all right, my first thing is who reviewed it? Second thing, who is she? What's her background? Well, when I find out that she just left Media Matters, that tells me a lot about the reviewer about the person so the agenda yeah instead of so right away now i go okay so this is and then what i can do is i can expose to the public that this is a biased person that worked in media matter which is and another organization funded by partly funded by we know who and uh so there's an agenda there in terms of criticizing because i don't mind i will watch a film that is and i've watched many I mean, <laughs> excuse me. I don't agree with the politics of some of Hollywood's pictures that I've watched, but I've enjoyed them. And I would say, hey, you know, watch the film. But, you know, 
you don't have to believe in the the message or you could be frustrated or angry at the message but you don't then denigrate the picture because of your own bias it's easy to do because we're emotional beings and this is how we look at life that's very easy to do but it's better for our country and for ourselves if if that if that reviewer imagine if she gave it a great review imagine if she went against the current but they can't and much like us we're the same way you know in other ways but that's what that's what so it doesn't bother me it i mean it stings because we all want to be loved you know alex (laughs) sure of course The, the, the bottom line of life is is acceptance and love uh but along political ideological uh, terms, then we have to we have to know who they are and say it. This is a review for Media Matters, and I, when pe- people criticize me, even on other mediums, I sometimes, if I have the time, I will answer them. I will then yeah. say, "Wait a second, because to, even if it's you know, people say that's a troll. He only has a hundred followers. Well, you know what." A hundred followers, and I engage, and now a thousand of my followers and other people, and there's a dialogue happening. Yeah. And now points are getting across. There's there's a conversation happening that's fomenting, that lets you uh, uh, get ideas out into that. That's what's interesting about these Truth Social and Twitter opposing ideas. Yes, okay, but at the same time, there's a certain point when uh, you know uh, if you don't respond totally emotionally but intellectually and emotionally uh you can uh, at least have your own uh look for every negative you put a positive out that's basically uh, uh, robert davi again is with me and robert i know your time's limited today because you're making the rounds and you do some tv uh he's the director of my son hunter which is a, a knockout movie we're distributing at breitbart news and dot com. Um, Robert, uh, speak to me about this thick skin you've got. You got to have rhino skin to do what you're doing anyway, to be a director, to put yourself out there like that. But particularly one where you know so many people are going to want you to fail. I- I'm just stunned that there are so many people though who are really rooting hard for you here, and I- I'm I'm very happy for you because it seems like the vast majority of people are giving you a shot or outright rooting for you in this regard. Are, are you satisfied with this? Is this a surprise to you at all? Or is it um, pretty much going out as you expected? Well, I, I didn't go, I didn't have expectations except trepidation. You know what I mean? Not sure. knowing what to expect. But it's pleasing because, you know, when we did that Tim Pool uh, podcast, you know? Yeah. And we saw the responses of people later on coming in and the appreciation of a career, I guess, that spans 45 years, and people connecting the dots in some way. Uh, so that's, that, there's a, and seeing the responses now that uh, people that have seen the film that are leaving messages in various places, and I, and I look at that because uh, I, I want to see what the, the, it's, you know, the old days, you can go to a theater and you can watch 500 people or a thousand people you can have test screenings so you more or less know how the film is going to be accepted by a large group of people today you don't have that or we didn't have that right right so this is this is this is the response as a filmmaker I, I want to see if they understand the tone if they're understanding and there are some people 
better absolutely getting it on spot. There was a great review in the Epic Times, another review in Movie Guide. There was another review in Hot Air where they're catching, you know, the subtleties and the humor and the, uh, the, 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 the I, I say, the message and the ravioli. Um, but, uh, and the performances and everything else. So that's gratifying. That's very, that's, that's a gratifying because barring, as we spoke earlier, barring the, the, uh, the, the agenda driven media and messages from friends of mine coming across saying, Hey, I just saw the film last night. I saw the film last night. Yes. It's, it's very gratifying. So, Robert, there's something that is, I know this will mean a lot to you if you're able to pull this off, and it seems more likely than ever that you will be able to, is that you're putting yourself in a position to not just be a filmmaker, but to be a pioneer. And I know that you're someone who had really Andrew Breitbart's messages uh, resonated with you. you. Even among people who followed Andrew, I think you've shown a deep commitment over the last decade plus to try to uh, honor what Andrew stood for. And you've kind of done it all in Hollywood at this point, but you've something that is new, which is that you could be a pioneer here if people follow in your footsteps. And I don't mean that there aren't other conservatives making art right now. That's really good. We have them on the show. They're they're out there. But you've done something that you took narrative film uh, and you made it aesthetically uh, exciting and pleasing first, but you did not shy away from political elements of it as well. So there's some conservatives out there who are making kind of glossy Hollywood movies, but they're not political. And then there are others who are making uh, great documentaries, but no one's doing exactly this thing where you've got a entertaining, a dramedy, essentially uh, a dark comedy, if you will. Uh, but it is not shying away from the political elements. It, it is. It feels like you're creating a whole new genre potentially. Yes, I mean it. It, it, it has that uh, aspect to it because it, you know, it's, some are saying well it's undefinable in some ways, but there are benchmarks before it's taking. Uh, and what I urge people is that we have to, as you said, have the aesthetic first. The message, you know, the aesthetic frames the message, not that the not that the message frames the aesthetic, and then the the ability to. Uh, it's like when I see films like American Hustle that I, you know that I, I like and I've talked about David O. Russell's picture about the FBI abscam. Also, The Wolf of Wall Street. And also the, the movie came out recently called The Gucci, about the Gucci family. So there's a, you know, the industry is able to, and many films prior to that, of course. But we've lacked... I don't think there's a lot of people in the conservative movement that are making films that have had their first start with, not to slap me on the back, but with Sinatra. So I've got decades of experience that the youth, a lot of the youth must, if I could say anything, please watch the old films. You need to watch foreign films. You need to watch good films. You need to get your aesthetic. Get away from what you're watching on, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the... the current stuff because there was the ability to make a great film and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on on this because this it's, it's such a big question but the important thing is to yes be cultural warriors get involved I, I talked about this at the faith-based thing years ago uh, I love lawyers I love you know you know we have enough you're get the only one in the culture excuse yeah. me 
You're the only one who loves lawyers. You're, you're the only one. Robert, no, hey, no, Robert, no, no, I don't mean, I, I said that, <laughs> you know, lawyers, lawyers are necessary, Alex. You know, but uh, no, I, I know they are. No, I got a, I got a family with, with many in them and uh, Breitbart, of course, is uh, the many retired lawyers uh, at Breitbart. But Robert, I know you got to run because you got to do some TV. But when you come back uh, next time, I want to spend some time more on what you're talking about. Let's go through some of the directors, some of the films that you would recommend that people check out to understand your aesthetic. Oh, The Wolf of Wall Street is such a great call. I think one of the, one of the best movies of the century. Uh, to pull from that's really good, but to get people uh, focused on uh, on on the art first and not just the politics. The politics are there. If you're listening to this show, you, you've probably internalized enough of the politics. It, it's getting the artistic sensibilities dialed in. Then you can really make a difference, which is what you're doing. So congrats so far, Robert, and we'll have you back uh, often. All right, Alex. Thank you. most impressive people in all of Washington is Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas. And we begin with a discussion of the JCPA, which is the media cartel bill that I've been whining and complaining about for feels like years, but certainly a couple of times this week on the broadcast. And the senator is not a fan, to say the least. And then we touch on a variety of other topics, including what he predicts will happen in the Senate come November. Let's hear from Senator Tom Cotton. Senator it's great to have you back on the broadcast. Thank you for joining hey, me. Hey, good to be back on with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad you're here because I was about to start playing clips from The View because that was my backup for this segment in <laughs> case uh, we were not able to rouse you. Um, the uh, Senator Cotton is Republican from Arkansas at Send Tom Cotton on Twitter. And a number of things I want to get to with you, but I want to get, I know your time's limited, so I want to get to the biggest one first, which is the JCPA, which is this, we describe it at Breitbart as a media cartel bill, and is a way for corporate media to kind of work with big tech to, in my opinion, suppress people like me and outlets like mine. Um, but uh, you're someone who is ultimately going to be uh, asked to vote on this legislation, and you've had a strong reaction to it so far. Uh, could you share our audience what you think is in the bill and your take on it so far well alex i think a cartel is a good description of it because it is an explicit exception to the antitrust rules against cartels between competitors in an industry the bill recognizes that there's a genuine problem of big tech companies taking advantage of publishers especially so many of the smaller uh newspapers television stations radio stations that we have in a state like arkansas but I don't think this bill is the solution to it. Um, authorizing a lot of outlets to join together in a kind of cartel uh, to negotiate with these tech companies. But in my, one of my biggest concerns is to also use those cartels organizations as an avenue for censorship. And Breitbart has seen this. Uh, you know, your uh, content is also abused by big tech. Yet you, my understanding is you've uh, been refused participation in this kind of organization. And in fact, the bill's advocates are pitching it to Democrats in Congress as we speak as a way to combat misinformation. Um, well, guess what they think misinformation is? Do they think it's the lies that big tech told about Hunter Biden's laptop in the weeks before the election in 2020? No, they think it's basically anything that gets published on Breitbart or other conservative outlets or what conservatives in general might be saying 
online or their op-eds and newspapers and that sort of thing. So this bill addresses uh, a genuine problem with outlets like yours or our newspapers in Arkansas being uh, taken advantage of by big tech, but I don't think this is the right way to do it. Uh, your assessment is almost exactly the same as mine, and they kind of tipped their hand when they said, or at least some of the advocates for the bill yesterday were suggesting the goal is to prevent misinformation, but we know misinformation isn't an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. It's the, the Russian collusion hoax was real to half the country and not real to the other half. The Hunter Biden laptop uh, still is not real to certain parts of the country when, you know, those who I think are grounded in reality see it as as real because it is and is leaving that up to big tech and the biggest media conglomerates, the exact type of people that I wrote scathingly about uh, in my book last year, Senator. It's the I, I don't trust them. And even if they want to say you can join our club today, we know they're going to kick us out of their club eventually. NewsGuard is one of the sponsors or not sponsor, but is one of the uh, people who are publicly advocating for the bill. Uh, what NewsGuard did is they're these group of establishment Republican and Democrats in Washington, for the most part, who have a get together and they evaluate whether or not a news outlet is credible. And then they communicate with advertisers to suggest that you don't advertise on not credible news outlets. When they launched, they gave Breitbart a green rating, so a positive rating. And then, of course, a year or two later, they take it away from us so they can announce that we're so terrible. That's what this would do, is that the best case scenario for me is we would be allowed in the cartel, in the club, and then they'll just take it away from us the second that uh, it's politically convenient. We've been down this road so many times. So the question is, Senator, who do we think is a constituency here? Well, I do think that probably what a lot of senators uh, are hearing from are their small newspapers um, across their states. And like I said, uh, our small newspapers in Arkansas um, want us to address this problem. But I've met with them and I, I explained the problems I have with this bill, the way it would empower anything but small companies like companies right. are genu- they're reporting on genuine local news, you know, crime and courthouse, and school boards and local sports. It would empower the big tech companies and these left-wing outfits that are really just designed to push ideological goals, um, not to promote news gathering in our communities across the state of Arkansas. Um, But I I think that momentum is with us now. I know that Senator Tillis yesterday just announced that he would oppose the bill. And if it comes down to the Judiciary Committee today uh, with a minimal number of Republicans, which appears to be the case, then uh, I think it's probably dead on the Senate floor that that it won't be getting to the 10 10 Republicans, at least, that it needs uh, to get over the 60-vote threshold uh, on the Senate floor. So I feel pretty good about where we are today, but we're going to be vigilant. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate that. And so today's markup day, which is a huge day procedurally. And uh, are there any amendments that you intend to offer? And if so, on what? Is there anything that you think could save the bill? So I may offer an amendment. I'm not sure any amendment would save the bill as it's currently designed because of the structural flaws that are, uh, in my opinion, ultimately going to advance the ideological goals of the left that we've discussed. Um, One thing that we might do, though, is try to focus on truly small media outlets. Um, So, you know, I've got legislation that might take it down as low as 150 firms. That would cover most uh, most newspapers in the state of Arkansas. I I still would not support the bill because I don't think that uh, creating this kind of cartel that will then be used uh, against ideological opponents of the progressive left in America is the right way to go. 
but major metropolitan newspapers, you know, like the Minneapolis Star Tribune, should not be uh, taking advantage uh, of this kind of explicit carve out of the antitrust law. They've got more than enough market power, in my opinion, to defend themselves. Um, and they're much more likely to, once they get into a cartel like this, to be agitating for the left wing exclusion uh, policy we've been discussing. So all this effort had taken place amid a big push by Democrats to attack conservative media over disinformation. And uh, we're seeing this, the timing of it's very interesting because we saw a big shift in rhetoric last week, which is, I think has been percolating, but never have we seen such a formal attack on the citizens by a seated president of the United States as we saw uh, with the way we've described as Biden's speech from hell. Uh, where he attacked supporters of of Donald Trump and the MAGA movement, et cetera, as threats to democracy. Uh, uh, Do you find this timing kind of interesting here that at the same time we're talking about whether or not uh, half the country is a threat to democracy? Now, all of a sudden, the the. Uh, we have a bill like this, which would kind of put corporate media and big tech in charge of what is misinformation or not. Well, it's kind of all of a piece together. It's the, how the left uses all of its levers of power, whether it's government, corporate, academic media, to try to suppress any dissenting views uh, and roll uh, roughshod over conservatives and our views. Um, I mean, Joe Biden's speech last week, his claims that Republicans are semi-fascists, um, this bill, they're all kind of moving in the same direction of suppressing any dissent from the progressive line in America. I mean, in fact, Joe Biden apparently seems to think, based just on the amount of time he spends on it, that you and your listeners and Republican voters are a bigger threat to our democracy than a thousand opioid deaths from drug cartels every year or the Chinese Communist Party or depraved criminals like we saw yet again last night in Memphis, since he spends so much more time attacking Republicans um, than he does actually trying to protect our country from an open border or this crime wave that democratic policy has unleashed. Were you surprised at all by the change in rhetoric from Joe Biden, or do you think that uh, this was sort of inevitable and we were kind of headed down this path for a while? Well, let's, I mean, it's a myth that Joe Biden is some kind of, you know, decent, middle-of-the-road paragon of civic virtue. I mean, remember 10 years ago, he was saying that Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan, of all people, were going to put black people back in chains. So the idea that Joe Biden uh, has always been this exemplar of political decency and virtue is just a total myth. I I think the reason he has begun to attack Republicans so viciously is he has nothing on which he can campaign. I mean, inflation is still at record highs. America sees the consequences of the Democrats' soft on crime policies almost every night now, coming out of Memphis alone, much less cities like Philadelphia or San Francisco or Los Angeles. Um, The border is in complete collapse. So the only thing he has left the campaign on is trying to demonize and attack Republicans um, as uh, somehow a threat to democracy. I mean, to me, uh, probably a bigger threat to democracy than Republican voters would be when a president claims a unilateral authority to give away $500 billion to his supporters in higher education and making hardworking plumbers and landscapers and waitresses pick up the tab uh, for Democratic staffers in the White House.
It is such an interesting point because it's so undemocratic for the president who should not theoretically, he's using, I think, some sort of a COVID emergency uh, rationale to give away all this money to, yes, uh, largely people who got these degrees and chose not to pay for them yet. And it just, of course, is going to skew towards Democrats. All the data suggests that. That sounds wildly undemocratic. Yes, like I said, it's much more undemocratic for a president to, without legal authority, give away $500 billion than it is for uh, your listeners uh, or Kansans to go out and vote Republican in the last election or the next election. So have you noticed how he's avoided talking about this now in his uh, stump speeches? So he doesn't feel like this has got broad appeal. Um, I found this sort of disturbing when I, we caught this at Breitbart that he's not talking about it. He's just giving out the money and he's trying to, I guess, sort of downplay it. It seems very cynical to me. Well, yeah, and I think, um, you know, it was very telling last Thursday night, Alex, that in this big speech, uh, in which he did champion a lot of the left-wing um, bills that they passed or the executive actions he's taken, just a week after, just a week after, uh, he bailed out $500 billion worth of student loans. He didn't even mention it in that speech in Philadelphia. That tells me that he recognizes and his political advisors recognize what a loser this is for the Democratic Party. Um, and frankly, look at what Democratic candidates running for Senate across the country are saying. They're running like scalded dogs away from this. Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, Tim Ryan in Ohio. Now, they have in the past defended it, so they're responsible for it. But right now, they are uh, misleading their voters, saying that they're opposed to it. Because, again, they can see the poll numbers. They know how massively unpopular it is to force carpenters and truck drivers and shift workers to pay for the education of lawyers uh, who don't want to pay off their loans, who would rather spend that money on something else. Senator Tom Cotton is Republican from Arkansas. And I want to connect something else that you mentioned, which is uh, this shootings or these shootings that took place in Memphis, which I brought up actually a little bit last hour. And they caught the guy who was broadcasting a rampage on uh, Facebook and he was just released from jail six months ago and he was initially charged with attempted murder and got a three-year sentence and was released early apparently at least according to what uh, I'm reading online uh, th this is this is the threats these are the threats to democracy it's not people who vote for Trump and people who vote for people who agree with Trump I mean it's that our cities are experiencing crime wave after crime wave the establishment media won't take it up the Democrat Party won't take it up we've got uh, you know Hungarian billionaires funding all the people who are letting people out of at uh, out of prison in a quick clip uh, these are fundamental threats to the Republican we're not even discussing them yeah um it's shocking that that murderer in Memphis last night was let out of prison earlier, early. It may be even more shocking, given his crimes, that he only got three years in the first place. Depraved criminals like him, like the murderer who killed Eliza Fletcher, should not be allowed out of prison early. They should probably at least get a life sentence, not parole. And my preference would be that we have a lot more executions of these depraved murderers. Yet the progressive Amen. left for decades, for decades, has worked to soften, soften criminal sentences, to reduce life sentences, to expand parole, and to eliminate the death penalty entirely. Just look in Pennsylvania, Alex. You have John Fetterman, the Democratic nominee for Senate, 
who said if he could wave a magic wand and make one thing happen, what was it? It wasn't to reduce the price of your groceries. It wasn't to stop the opioid epidemic that is ravaging Pennsylvania. It wasn't even, I don't know, to have a Eagles or Steelers Super Bowl. His one wish, if he could wave a magic wand, was to eliminate long prison sentences for murderers. Yeah. And the thing about it is, Alex, he's not an outlier. He is right in the center mass of Democratic Party opinion. Look at their nominee in Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes. He wanted to eliminate bail. So depraved criminals who are finally arrested by brave police officers are immediately put back on the streets so they can commit more crimes to include perhaps intimidating the witnesses against their previous crimes. But again, this is not an outlier. These are not one-off views. They are extreme views, but they are extreme views that typify the Democratic Party. Yeah, I do think that this is a noteworthy point about Fetterman. And this brings me to the Senate and the state of the Senate. And it's interesting to see that it feels like a couple of key races are being de-emphasized by the Republican establishment. And I don't want to put you in a tough spot, Senator, because I know you got to work with some people who are calling the shots here. But uh, there's some alarm in the audience, in the Breitbart audience in particular. And some of it has been vocalized by uh, Senator Rick Scott, who is not a known as a you know far-right bomb thrower, uh, that uh, perhaps Perhaps there's been some uh, there's a lack of uh, I want to say focus on some really crucial races to to keep the Senate as a shot for the Republicans to take it over, despite a really challenging map for Republicans, very favorable map for Democrats. Uh, Can can you sum up what you're seeing? Are you seeing any patterns, maybe some good news? Is there anything you're concerned about? Uh, How is the Senate races shaping up as we head towards November? Oh, uh, Alex, I think we're going to win the Senate. Um, I think a lot of what you've seen over the last two months are the Democrats and their media wing cheerleading and wish casting, trying to boost them up. But inflation is still at record highs. You see the tragic results of their uh, criminal justice policies in Memphis, again, on one city almost every night. And the border is totally open. Um, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, since we're talking about him, I'll, I'll just note that he just put out his third straight ad trying to refute our charges against him that he's soft on crime. He could put out 30 straight ads. It won't change the fact that he's soft on crime, but it does give some glimpse into his mindset. He knows that this is a problem for him. He knows that he's in trouble. Um, And and you're going to see that in race after race. When we get on offense and we prosecute the case against these Democrats who are soft on crime, who are indifferent to the opioid epidemic that's the result of our immigration policies at our border, who are willing to keep the border open, and who just raised taxes and spent hundreds of billions of more dollars at a time when we still have record high inflation. So I'm confident we're going to hold what we got in in tough states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I'm confident we're going to pick up seats. we got a lot of great opportunities to pick up seats in Arizona, uh, Nevada, Georgia, uh, Colorado, Washington State. I was just with Tiffany Smiley recently. who's running against Patty Murray up in Washington State. Tiffany and her campaign organized a blood drive in Seattle recently because there was so much shooting crimes in Seattle, they were running low on blood. That's how bad it's gotten there. Yet Patty Murray is still voting to let prisoners out early and get stimulus checks. The Democrats are vulnerable on all the issues that matter to Americans, and trust me, uh, once this election is over, the American people are going to know about that. Senator Tom Cotton, appreciate the time, and uh, come back soon. Thank you, Alex. I got American power. 
that's today's broadcast. Thanks to producers Zach and Greg Eben. Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. And all of you who go to mysonhunter.com and buy the movie, we appreciate you so much. And you're helping us grow and thrive. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm in love.